Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. An unprecedented dare I say, historic, for all the wrong reasons, day in, in, in British politics. You'll listen to the podcast and it won't sound like a regular Mid-Atlantic podcast because there's literally no point in spending two or three hours um, editing it uh, because invariably, as soon as it's released, uh, we'll be overtaken by events. So you've heard the raw audio today. All you've got is the uh, title music, a couple, couple of inserts, and then some great commentary uh, from the people who have been um, gracious with their presence on stage. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Welcome, my name is Royford Brown and this is Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. But there is no American side of the Atlantic for us to look at today because things are all astir in the United Kingdom. Boris Johnson is going to be dragged out of office, uh, kicking and screaming, it seems like. This is unprecedented in UK politics, not that uh, a sitting prime minister has lost the support of his backbenchers, backbenchers, that's happened uh, on quite a few occasions, but the fact that he's refusing to walk has meant that um, we have paralysis at the heart of UK government. Quite simply, there aren't enough ministers uh, for the government to function because so many of them are resigning. Today, we, in PMQs, the leader of the opposition said this. Mr Speaker, last week a government minister was accused of sexually assaulting a young man. I want to quote the victim's account. He grabbed my ass and then he slowly moved his hand down in front of my groin. I froze. I accept that's not easy listening. But it's a reminder to all those propping up this Prime Minister just how serious the situation is. He knew the accused minister had previously committed predatory behaviour, but he promoted him to a position of power anyway. Before he was found out, he's reported to have said, he's handsy. That's the problem. 
Pincher by name, Pincher by nature. Now, has the Prime Minister ever said words to that effect? And I'm not asking for bluster and half-truth. We've all had enough of that. Yes or no? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, I'm not going to trivialise what happened. Yes, Mr Speaker. Doesn't that just sum him up? Awful behaviour, unacceptable in any walk of life. It's there for all to see. Anyone quitting now after defending all that hasn't got a shred of integrity. Mr Speaker, isn't this the first recorded case of the sinking ships fleeing the rats? What a pathetic spectacle. The the dying act of his political career is... And as for those who are left, only in office, because no-one else is prepared to debase themselves any longer, the charge of the lightweight brigade. Steve O'Neill, let's start with you. I must admit, I thought that that was somewhat of a devastating set of put-downs that Keir Starmer, the leader of the opposition, gave Boris Johnson today. But could you just tell us, in your own words, where exactly are we? How have we landed up in this position? What is the current scandal? What What has gone on which has led us to the situation where Boris Johnson doesn't have enough ministers uh, to fill his cabinet? Well, the the straight answer to that is that um, this uh, MP Chris Pincher was known to be um, well, essentially someone who sexually abused people in um, uh, the he had a, a different difficult power sort of relationship with I people you know who were more junior to him, um, and the PM knew about it and appointed him anyway. But I I don't think that's the thing to focus on because there's been so many different scandals, so many reasons why ministers should resign or could resign. It's just this seems to be the moment they've chosen after everything too. So what happened yesterday was two big figures in the cabinet, Savage Javid, the health secretary, and Rishi Sunak, the chancellor, resigned. And that's just kicked everything off uh, very quickly. As of last night, it looked like they kind of righted the ship. No one else had resigned. They'd filled those posts. Um, but then today we had resignations coming more from junior people, not cabinet people, from left, right and centre. And it's happened all day. And it has accumulated with seemingly, and this is all rumours, but it's widely reported in the BBC, everyone going to Downing Street, or nearly everyone, there's a couple of people trying to tell him to stay, but everyone's trying to tell him to go. And he's essentially saying he doesn't want to go, but the pressure is mounting hugely. And very quickly, the last thing is that they're looking at how they can change their own rules to get rid of him. Because, of course, they had a, a, um, a vote to no conference a few weeks back. He won that pretty unconvincingly, but they're supposed to leave it a year. But these are informal rules from the Conservative 1922 committee that they can change. And so now we're just looking at, I think, how they drag him out and whether he goes or whether they, they force him. Mike, hold on. I'm going to come to you. One of the things which um, Savage Javid said in his resignation speech, I thought was really quite telling, but he didn't quite deliver it in the most brutal ways uh, which he could. But at one point he said, I went into, the, into politics to do something, not to just be somebody. And obviously, that is uh, he's pointing the finger there at Boris Johnson, who's somebody who famously doesn't really have any policies, but what it went into always wanted to be prime minister. Why is it, do you think, that, or is it any surprise, shall we say, that we have a situation whereby the leader of the executive in the United Kingdom, though his government has collapsed around him, will not walk. Could we have always seen this coming? Because he is somebody who always coveted the office, 
and has done anything to get the office, but actually has no principles. Should we be then surprised that he's being incredibly unprincipled now? The men in grey suits have come up to him, tapped him on the shoulder and said, your time is up, but he's refusing to go. Well, it's not it's not a huge surprise, is it? I mean, um, there have been a lot of resignations, a lot of statements made in the past uh, 24 hours, sometimes multiple ones at the same time. But um, all these people knew, or at least should have known, exactly who Boris Johnson was, because he was who he was when they elected him leader. And they elected him leader because of some of the, let's call them qualities, that he has, that he doesn't care about the rules. Uh, he he uh, doesn't care about, well, as, as it turns out, he doesn't care about anything except himself. Um, so these people now feigning horror and surprise that he's turned out to be exactly what most people thought he was. Uh, falls a little bit flat, but um, they're now facing the horror. Uh, it's literally being reported in the past like, 10 minutes that um, many of his own cabinet have, have gone in and told him he's got to go. One or two have told him he's got to stay. And he said, I'm staying. The 1922, who for our American friends are, uh, the non-cabinet ministers, so backbenchers uh, in Parliament, um, are convening. There are invitations to the committee tonight, uh, and the election is early next week, and they're talking about changing the rules. But he's tonight, as far as I understand it, said, I'm going to stay put. So um, there is a, a, a non-zero chance that he will try to launch general election next week, <laughs> uh, which would be quite something. We'll have another episode of this. Alyssa, uh, thank you for joining us. Long time since you haven't been on the podcast and, and, and in the room. Um, Boris Johnson has reportedly told colleagues that he's not going to go. And, and if there is some kind of vote of no confidence, he's going to call a, a snap election, thereby putting uh, the fear of Jesus into them because they know that the Tories or the Conservative Party are incredibly unpopular. Is that the only card that Boris Johnson has to play? Thank you for having me, Royfield. Um, I would say that's his potentially nuclear option as a card, but to be honest, the options are very slim. I mean, one option he has is just to be obstinate and to refuse to, you know, succumb to any uh, pressures to resign. And I think that's what he's going to do. He's going to he's going to stay out as as long as he can. And if 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 things be damned, and he then has to exercise that option of going to a general election, he will exercise that. But I think if we just zoom out a bit and look at sort of the the history of Boris, um, it's already been discussed that the fact that this is a guy who has very little principles, only thinks about himself and his political success. If you look at his career. He's been very successful when it comes to elections and actually going to the people. So he won the London mayoral election in 2008. He won the uh, re-election campaign against Livingston again and he uh, the Brexit campaign. Um, 2019 general election, which he won by a relative landslide. At every single moment when he's had to have a massive political campaign or political um, outreach to the people or to the public, he's been successful. So from his perspective... Looking at it, the fact that the Tories are in the polls, uh, about the average of polls, uh, give or take, is about seven points down from Labour, 
that's not an obstacle to him. He thinks that if he makes his case to the people, then he's going to be retained. And this is actually a similar issue that Thatcher had when she was pushed out. She, in her memoirs, or uh, after her time in office, she, she regretted that it was always the party that pushed her out. She had always been successful in elections, and the public never rejected her, in her opinion. So Boris, looking at it, all these years, he's, he's climbed the greasy pole. He's eventually at the summit. He's not going to give it up about two or three years into his premiership by doing the you know simple thing of resigning. He's going to fight to the bitter end because after this, if he resigns, he loses all his power and he's going to be um, an XPM and no one's ever going to want him back in office in any significant way. So this is his last stand, to be honest, and I don't think he's going to buckle. He's going to fight till the very end. Uh, Boris betrays the trend of um, past Conservative PMs um, in that the fact that why the Conservatives, one reason why they've been so successful historically, apart from the fact that England or the UK is small seat Conservative, is the fact that they always self-regulate and they have the internal mechanism to always replace their, their Prime Ministers at some point. So if you look at the post-war period, a lot of the actual Conservative PMs who've lost power, they didn't lose elections. They've all um, resigned due to one scandal or another. So the Conservative Party is a self-regulating regu uh, regulating mechanism in that way. And Boris, I think, is, is taking a new trend of Trumpism in a way where it's all about who can control the media narrative, who can be brash, who can uh, disobey all the rules, who can, uh, you know, be the most combative. And I think there's that tension between, you know, the actual um, conservative principles or values of the party versus Boris, who comes from this new media generation of win at all costs and um, rules be damned. And how that tension is going to be resolved is going to be interesting to see in the next um, few days or or um, even going forward beyond that if he stays in power. I think it's a really interesting observation that uh, the Conservative Party fundamentally is one which self-regulates. But, it, and I did mention this before a few episodes ago in Mid-Atlantic, if you look back at Tory leadership crises which get played out in the full glare of publicity, if you start with Thatcher, we had Thatcher and she um, wins a vote of no confidence, but is fatally wounded. She wins, but not not by enough. And she says she's going to battle on. But then the the, the, the men in the grey suits tap her on the shoulder and say, "No, you, you've you've lost uh, so much of the parliamentary party. You can't." John Major also um, had uh, a, a leadership fight of which he won uh, very convincingly, but then he lost a general election. We've had uh, numerous leaders uh, since. The, 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 the Conservative Party seems to be a party which likes to do its bloodletting in public, which is something which it never used to do up until Margaret Thatcher. And, and I wonder, I wonder if we, we aren't potentially looking at not necessarily the dissolution of the Conservative Party, because um, I think, as as Alyssa said, uh, the, the the Conservative Party is has been a very successful party, been the most successful political party in the modern world. It's the oldest; it predates even the birth of the United States as a nation. But th there there is something existential at the heart of the Conservative Party, which people seem to be fighting over periodically, whether it is John Major, Margaret Thatcher, whether it is Theresa May, 
Tory infighting is vicious and it happens in public and they're only seven points down in the polls. Uh, I'm going to come to you, Michael, uh, in, in a little bit for the Americans' view of what the heck is going on. But Steve, how can this party be do as badly as it is uh, scandal after scandal. We've had three years of Boris Johnson and every month there is another scandal. Every month. And there are only seven points down. Isn't it, as Alyssa says, you know, the English, because it is the English, we're a small C conservative nation and it doesn't matter what they do, we're always going to vote them back in. It is a head scratcher, isn't it? Because like you say, when you look at the mess they've made, particularly in the last, you know, since Boris Johnson's been Prime Minister, it, it is amazing they're not further behind. The only thing I can think is that, of course, go back to 2019 when they won a big majority. And of course, Labour, um, their brand was so tarnished and they're coming back from a long way and they've come back to, you know, you say within six or seven points. But it must be surely people sort of almost don't know who to vote for. And I think that's true when you look at lots of um, polling, it's, it's not people who are switching, they're just going to don't knows. And that's my only explanation is that the people are just despairing with the whole lot at the moment and the, the left needs to needs to capture their imagination in order to make it more like we'd expect, you know, a really big lead given how given how bad the government's been. Uh, Michael, welcome. Uh, love having you on the stage. Um, you're, you're sat in America land right now, uh, but you are um, somewhat of an observer of British politics. What do you make of the eruptions going on in Britain in Westminster today? Well, uh, Rifle, I'm, I'm holding you personally responsible for my love of the United Kingdom being compromised. Uh, it's tough to watch. It is, it is, and that's a joke. Uh, it's tough to watch. Um, one of the great things of, of being a, a bit of an Anglophile over here is to see the differences, um, both positive and negative, from the US political system. And since I've really started trying to pay attention maybe 10, 15 years ago, um, there's just this constant encroachment of, you know, I don't know if it's fair to call it American style politics, but there's been this constant encroachment of um, this lack of shame uh, of the influence of money um, and, and a lot of other things that, that I don't speak well for political entities on either side of the Atlantic. Um, you know, I don't know why you all are, yeah, like, I, I feel like there's a surprise Pikachu face of, of Johnson, you know, refusing to go. And it, it's not at all, like, how many headlines, how, like, literally, how many times have we seen the headline, Johnson under pressure to resign over the last couple of years? And everybody's like, it's different this time. It's different. And just two comments on that, you know, we have a saying in American politics, uh, it's better to be caught with a dead prostitute than a live boy. And I do think there might be some tinge of, of that in this. I don't know if the reaction would be such if it was, you know, uh, a harassment of a female. Um, but more importantly, the reason that he's under pressure is because conservatives got trumped at the by-elections. Uh, poor choice of words. If 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 conservatives had won those by-elections, even if they had just scraped by, 
I think this would just be another under the rug. But I think for for the, the bulk of the conservatives, they're like, well, he did it. He got us our ADC majority, but it's quite obviously the shine is off the rose. And now let's get rid of him and try and dump, you know, blame. Now we can blame everything on him going into the next general. Um, but it's all this stuff like Richie Sunak's letter about, oh, uh, got into politics for this, and it's just, it's just you know, terrible and untenable. He could have he could have written that letter in the very first month of uh, Johnson's premiership, and I think it's just it's just because call me cynical. It's only because they got thumped in these by elections. I I I don't know, and and I'm no fan uh, of the Conservative Party, but I I do understand collective responsibility, and I think factored into the election of Boris Johnson as leader of the Conservative Party was his appeal with uh, the common man and woman in the street. And as somebody, uh, I think it was Alyssa, said, he's a proven election winner. He absolutely is, whether it's the mayoralty of London uh, or whether it is um, having this thumping majority, which he delivered. Um, against, admittedly, Corbyn's Labour Party, but he, he he is a proven electoral winner. And he has something which many Tory MPs don't have, um, some level of charisma. Mike Holden. I would have said that is true up till quite recently. And Johnson is still uh, using that line this evening. In the local elections uh, a few weeks ago, the Tories lost 500 councillors. And in the by-elections uh, more recently, uh, by-elections are notoriously um, difficult um, platform for the uh, incumbent government. But he lost uh, one of the seats that was one of the red wall seats that everybody shouted from the rooftops when, when Johnson won them. Uh, and he lost one of those. And he also lost another one to... Um, the largest numerical swing in in electoral history. So his his claims that he's still an electoral winner are starting to look at jaded. I think what's what's brought this about recently, as Michael said, um, is more that uh, MPs are now becoming embarrassed by having to lie for him when he turns round the day after they've said something and, and proves them to be liars. And so increasingly it's looking like they're gaining nothing. And it's a transactional business in politics. They're gaining nothing from their loyalty to him anymore. And it's getting to the point where he's going to be a liability. And I think that's what's precipitating a lot of the moves that we're seeing right now. We're about to find out exactly how bad it's going to get um, next week, I think, because constitutional crisis is, is right on the doorstep right now. We are in the throes of one if uh, there isn't the immediate mechanism to remove the, the leader of the Conservative Party, who also happens to be the Prime Minister at, at, the, at the same time. And all of his colleagues are telling him to go, we are actually de facto in a constitutional crisis. Um, just to quickly go on on onto the chat, um, Jennifer Hanna, a good good friend of mine on the app, says uh, you call that charisma, 
Yeesh. Jennifer, I am no fan of Boris Johnson, but he has cultivated this bumbling, affable, posh bloke, but matey uh, persona for some 20 plus years before he even became the leader of, of the Conservative Party. He was on Have I Got News For You. He, he's been an ever-present on our TV screens in a way that no other Conservative politician has been. And whilst his charm never worked on me and other left-leaning uh, voters, it did work on sufficiently enough people so that what well, I think one of the reasons why we have so many of these red wall seats, these are seats in the north of England uh, who traditionally voted Labour but could switch, wasn't just because of Brexit. That was obviously uh, a large reason for it, but also because they trusted him. They felt comfortable with him. However, whether it was him getting sacked, I think, from The Telegraph, was it The Spectator? I forget which uh, publication sacked him way back when. He's always been shown up to be somebody of, of no ethics, uh, a proven liar, a documented liar, but could just about smile his way through every uh, dodgy situation he was in. Here is somebody who can talk about single mothers and them sponging off the state, but has got four, four baby mothers. You know, we don't even know the exact amount. You know, this is, this is somebody who just is beyond reproach. However, has been able to just about charm enough people enough of the time, though factored in when he became the leader of the Conservative Party was the fact that he's A, unprincipled, but could be charming. So I think we have to give it to him that some people, the British public being uh, a large constituency here, say that he's somebody who at least had charisma. He might have lost it, but he definitely has some level of political charisma, some political star power. Um, Alyssa, am I wildly off beam? No, I think you're totally on the money. Um, Boris, of course, personally, um, he's repulsive to me for the various reasons you've discussed already. Um, we don't even need to go too far back to his comments when he was a, he was a newspaper um, columnist, his, his comments about things such as, you know, the people of Liverpool and the Hillsborough disaster or about um, African developing uh, nations and his various racist comments of different in, in different capacities. Um, I mean, but why now? Why now is it this at this point which the, you know, the various um, Tory backbenchers say they're repulsed and they can go no further? I mean, if you weren't appalled um, at his other various statements before, I mean, that's the, you know, that's the, that's the deal you served with this devil. I think they have to live with it at this point and they have to accept it. It seems very hypocritical for them to take a moral stand at this point. I mean, there's so many different scandals that have occurred already and they held their nose and continued. So I think they have to continue at this point. Um, but I, ironically, despite the fact that um, I, we, I do find him repulsive on his various issues, I think I, I don't see any better candidate for the Conservatives at this point. I think Boris just has that capacity when his, you know, when, when the chips seem down or when his, his back's against the wall and he's, he faces a momentous vote. He somehow, that's when he's most successful, looking at the, the Brexit referendum, 
campaign or looking at a, a pivotal moment, I think, looking at any modern politician of any party in the UK, he's he's the most um he's the most adept in terms of, you know, making a momentous decision and being successful in the throes of battle. So I don't see any other candidate that can take his place and credibly, you know, be more successful going into a general election, despite what the polls are saying. I think if a campaign actually happened, I think it would be more effective than Liz Truss, than Sajid Javid, than Rishi Sunak, than any of these other imposters who are trying to take his position. So I think from their perspective, I think the Tories, although it seems the right thing to do for them right now to try and boot him out of office, I think he's actually their best bet um, because I don't see anyone else who has similar charisma. I think maybe you can pop the question around. Who who does anyone think can be the best, you know, alternative or replacement for Boris? Um, Personally, I I would like to see, if I could have my pick, I would like to see the Tory party shift back towards the more moderate centre with someone like Jeremy Hunt or someone in the old Theresa May type wing of the party. But I think based upon Brexit and where they are now, and that's not that's never going to work uh, unless they completely rewrite their current political agenda. So out of all the Brexiteers, I don't see anyone who can credibly take his position at this point and be more of an electoral success. So the question is, who better than Boris if you, if you are to have Boris replaced? If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Well, let's have a think about who is going to come next. It's just a matter of time. It could be a matter of minutes 
or this could be uh or more what's going to be more likely is a short sharp um tory electionship election uh, race uh, but this is savage javid who's most definitely one of those potential leaders of the uh, conservative party hence the next british prime minister this is what he had to say today in parliament there's only so many times you can turn that machine on and off before you realize that something is fundamentally wrong last month i gave the benefit of doubt one last time but i haven't concluded that the problem starts at the top that is not going to change i have concluded that the problem starts at the top and i believe that is not going to change and that's means that it is for those of us in a position who have responsibility to make that change. I wish my cabinet colleagues well, and I, I can see they have decided to remain in the cabinet. They will have their own reasons, but it is, it is a choice. I know just how difficult that choice is, but let's be clear, not doing something is an active decision. Uh, Steve O'Neill, you've got your ear firmly to the ground, to the floor of Westminster. You, you, you know who's in the running, don't you? It's either going to be, who's it going to be? Is it going to be uh, Rishi Sunak, uh, our more Thatcherite uh, ex-Chancellor? Uh, is it going to be Savage Javid? Um, is it gonna, who, who's it going to be? Is it going to be somebody as bland as Liz Trust? Who is going to come next? Do you know what? I haven't got a clue. It's all over the place in terms of the, the betting. For ages, the all the polling of Conservative members, assuming it goes to a vote of the members, because that, that, that's normally what happens, uh, we're saying it's, it's probably Trust versus Sunak. Um, however, Sunak has really fallen from grace recently, uh, and a whole bunch of other lesser-known contenders are, are in the running. One of them is definitely Javid. I think Jeremy Hunt... Um, is certainly in there but penny morden is mentioned a lot she's a trade minister not quite as well known but she's quite popular uh tom tugenhart is a backbencher with a, a military background and i think he's the chair of the defense select committee and ben wallace the current defense secretary is now mentioned because he is perceived to have done well on ukraine but some of these people we weren't talking about months ago it feels like it could kind of go anywhere at the moment historically the, the conservatives have uh, had lots of in effect left field choices haven't they it, you know nobody saw john major coming his rise was utterly spectacular at the, st at the start of the 90s he became the chancellor um out of literally nowhere and then 18 months later he was the prime minister so they could they, it could well be somebody who's deep in the back benches or somebody who we've uh neatly j just passed over steve staying with you just just for now before i'm going to move this on onto mike could you explain the political tectonic plates within the Conservative Party for us right now? All political parties, however big, however small, are coalitions. But what are the various factions, as you understand it, in the Tory party now? Uh, understanding that might give us some steer as who the next leader might be. Well, I don't know if I'm an expert on all the factions and all the labels, but they, they have moved. So... Um... From the kind of Cameron era a few years back, they were perceived as um, economically on the right, so low taxes, free market, but pretty socially liberal. That and there is a, there is a little bit of that faction left. But what's happened under Boris Johnson is a bit of a flip of that. They've gone economically to the left, 
uh, and become socially more conservative. So these are the different kind of groups, I think. I think there are definitely factions that would want to be much more lower tax, much more neoliberal, as, as it's often termed. Um, there are others, I think, who are more comfortable with state spending. And then there are also groups who want to go further on culture wars. And you, if you hear Tory MPs in Parliament, some of them, um, you know, rile against the so-called woke agenda and, and, and all that. Uh, and others who probably wouldn't want to go near that. So those kind of those are the kind of uh, debates. And so in terms of the leadership contenders, some like Jeremy Hunt, probably a bit more li um, liberal, both uh, in terms of social issues, probably also economically would be that kind of person. Liz Truss is uncertain, but she might be more like a populist. Maybe she'll be more go, go the kind of um, socially conservative route as her pitch. So those are the things that are sort of floating around at the moment, I would say. Mike. Steve, sorry, if you don't mind me asking, Steve, I like your opinion on uh, Nadine Zahawi. What is he playing at? I, I can't understand why he took the chancellorship, tied himself to the mask of a sinking ship, uh, and uh, potentially tonight having gone and told Johnson himself that it's time to go, which is quite a bizarre thing in itself, and Johnson's not going, he may end up resigning short of 24 hours into his position. What, where's he coming from? I mean, I've been scratching my head about this too. The only thing I originally thought was that possibly he didn't think the government was going to fall, at least for a while, and he thought he could be chancellor for a bit and, and raise his, his, his profile. I suppose some of the ministers that are hanging on are thinking they don't want to um, annoy those that are loyal to Johnson. And so in whatever fallout comes later, leadership race, etc., they haven't made enemies. But to take a big job like that, like you say, seems a, a very odd thing. I, I can only think that he didn't know when he took the job last night that this is gonna, how it was going to play out, because like you, I'm baffled. Well, OK. Thanks for that, mate. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems utterly bizarre. There is another way of looking at it. It'll be a future quiz question, that's for certain. Well, there is another way of looking at Zawi and why he did what he did. Uh, some of the reports coming out of um, him being appointed yesterday was the fact that he told Johnson, "I'm this is the position that I want. I'm going to do this, knowing that uh, Johnson was, was weak uh, yesterday after Sunak's resignation. And he could spin it because he has, he's a, a relatively high-profile conservative politician he could spin it that he's trying to bring some level of stability uh to the office and now he's turned around to johnson and says you need need to go it's a very slim room for maneuver but it is just about possible he did basically hold a gun to johnson's head yesterday saying i'm going to be the chancellor johnson had to say yes and now he's there is trying to wield some level of uh, power by saying i have relatively clean hands i'm relatively popular with the british people and i've told johnson to go that that's one way of looking at it but uh, but i i must admit it's, it's a slight stretch um Alyssa, did anything i just say make any level of sense i agree with you i think it's uh, right now there, there are people who are going to bet in different ways when you have this kind of situation it makes or breaks political careers some people who Everyone's jumping on the bad wagon of resigning and pushing against Johnson. But if he stays a bit longer, you can be someone from some obscure part of the Tory party and overnight make yourself into a household name and completely change your career. So people are going to bet in different ways. And I think Zahawi saw an opportunity in that he can take a very prominent position, a great office of state, and 
have that excuse of I'm here to provide stability, the, the government needs to still function despite of this political upheaval. So he, he can, you know, have his um, toes in both camps and say effectively, if it comes to it, oh, I, I was against it, but I have to, someone has to be there to stand up for, you know, the country and govern during this difficult period. So some people are going to have to make very, um, you know, um, spontaneous decisions in how they respond to this crisis. Even looking at uh, Sunak, Sunak only got the position pretty much as a replacement for Javid, right? When they had that falling out, him and him and Boris, and all of a sudden Sunak um, was chancellor during the pandemic and elevated himself into this massive household name. So a lot of people right now, if you're a backbencher and you're not too fussed either way, um, you can elevate yourself and get into a nice position at this point because positions are up for grabs. And if Boris does what he's going to do, maybe he uh, is able to stall this for another year or for however long. I mean, this crisis has been coming and coming over so many, you know, so many different iterations. You've had during the pandemic, you had the Partygate issue, and he's found a way to to stay in power. So um, it's very there's a possibility that his premiership stays for another couple years or, or, or how long um the vote of confidence they need to change their rules to have another one during this year so nothing is guaranteed that he's actually going to be replaced and so there are some smart people out there who can um take a, a punt on their careers and get some nice positions so um it's, it's interesting to see how all the different runners and riders take advantage of the, of the crisis michael let's come to you the chances are that Boris Johnson's tenure as prime minister is going to be up either, you know, in a matter of hours. Like, it's literally inconceivable if so many of his own cabinet are uh, telling him to go. It's conceivable, inconceivable this could last, let's say, until Saturday. Inconceivable. Will this come as a major surprise, let's say, to uh, Americans? Were Americans... Uh, following at all any of the numerous scandals and ructions that uh, have been besetting uh, the Conservative Party in the UK. Uh, if Boris Johnson is gone tomorrow, will ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, etc. report this with any level of shock? Um, I think they reported it as, as just sort of a, a somewhat surprising, but you, you have to... The, the average American doesn't even care about American politics, uh, let alone politics from another country. Um, I don't know percentage-wise what percentage of Americans would be able to name uh, the British prime minister. Um, maybe that's a little sad or cynical, but yeah, I don't, I don't know, and I will, I will take your bet. Uh, literally inconceivable. I don't, I don't know why. And this is uh, there's there's such a finality in that. You're saying there's like a hundred percent, ninety nine percent chance that he's going to be gone. And this is the problem, not the problem per se, but the susceptibility that British politics has. And that is your over not again phrasing your over-reliance on norms and standards and proper behaviors in order to in, be a guardrail for these sort of things happening, right? The, the thought that, you know, that someone would just, a British politician would just sort of 
soldier on like the Titanic, regardless of what had happened, isn't wasn't really plausible. Uh, I don't I don't think. And and again, you all know your culture better, but you, you it's the whole this is the right thing to do. And you know, I'm sorry, you know, you have to it's an obligation that if it isn't reciprocated by the other person, they wreak havoc on your structures. And sometimes maybe it's a good thing. Maybe this is a positive, maybe it's a weakness, but I think right now it's, it's showing itself as a weakness. Uh, it's hard to disagree with uh, your point there, Michael, that British politics, or at least the, the, the governance of the United Kingdom, a lot of it is just done by convention. Uh, there aren't any rules necessarily, and but one of the hard and fast rules is if you lose your cabinet, you just walk. You just do the decent thing. You know, you just walk. The, the amazing one of the amazing things for me is that your word though. You said the word decent. That's subjective. Like and and well, you said you know, the, earlier. You know, you, you did say. I'm just going to push back just a little bit because you did say earlier. You know, they're not going to find any people willing to debase themselves to be a part of this government. Well, on contraire, mon frere, uh, there's when it comes to politics, there's an endless queue of people willing to debase themselves for some power. Um, so I'm, I'm much more I have a much more jaundiced view of this and the, the next week um, than perhaps you do. Uh, you know, it, it's a fair point. Alyssa, I'm, I'm going to come to you in, in a second. Um Keir Starmer did say, though, that he is filling his cabinet with Z-listers. Uh, that is most definitely true. Uh, Zahawi is not a Z-lister, uh, but I think just about everybody else um, is fundamentally is a Z-lister. No one's ever heard of them. And for him to have Nadine Doris so up front and centre, you know, she is li literally a joke. So whilst I take your point, there will always be somebody you would think in normal times that will uh, fit uh, fill these positions he is actually struggling and the labor party today had to call off uh, a a committee a cross party committee i forget which one because there weren't enough tory ministers there to to staff that uh, to staff that committee so there, there are uh, constitutional r ramifications and you are right though uh, to do the decent thing is definitely subjective, but to do the norm isn't. And I suppose decency and norms, uh, I, I'm kind of slightly mixing up. Uh, but but Mike Holden, uh, we are. If this goes on for any longer than just a few hours, uh, this is a constitutional crisis, isn't it? Because the government is not functioning, and the incumbent in number ten is refusing to go. Uh Yes, in short. Uh, I mean, um, we, we've just recently changed our electoral system. Um, if I understand the American one, you have a fixed uh, term and there is no, uh, it's in the Constitution, there is, there, there is no adjustment. There's no wriggle room in that. Well, uh, it, we had that called uh, a system called the Fixed Term Parliament Act up until about three months ago. And uh, Boris Johnson's government did away with it, which meant that um, he can, under normal circumstances, call an election at a time of his, his choosing, at his maximum advantage, um, which, as you said, we are now heading for a constitutional crisis because if he tries to call one in coming days and weeks, 
um, it will be very much against the will of his party, uh, let alone against the will of, of Parliament, uh, although some in Parliament might well welcome uh, such a move. Um, and the, the talk today, there is apparently there is a set of rules called the Sells Principles, which kick in when a prime minister wants to have an election. Normally, as we know, it's a normal circum uh, series of events. Either the, uh, the prime minister wants an election, parliament votes for it, and he goes to the queen and asks to dissolve parliament to have an election, or that prime minister is defeated in a motion of confidence and is effectively out, so has to go to the Queen to ask for an election anyway. Um, the uh, argument that's been raging today is whether, and it was in a, a select committee, which is, a, as you know, but others may not, is a, a committee of uh, backbenchers in Parliament, but very powerful ones, uh, were asking him about these exact principles as to whether uh, he could of his own volition, try to call a general election. And, and as far as I understand it, and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I do completely, um, he would have to go to the Queen and say, I wish to dissolve Parliament and have an election. And the Queen has the power to say yes or no. What happens if she says no? I don't think anybody knows because we've never been in that position before. But that's literally kind of where we're looking now that, his, his argument, as again, as I understand what, what's been said tonight, his argument is, I will wait until the 1922 committee change the rules, and if they have voted confidence and I'm voted out, my mandate is with the people, not those uh, backbenchers, so I will go to the Queen and ask for an election. That, that's what he's been saying. Whether it turns out to be bullshit, uh, it certainly wouldn't be the first time. Um, but if it turns out to be uh, true, I mean, that's serious. Constitutional lawyers that I follow on Twitter are, are a combination of pulling the hair out and absolutely ecstatic at the, the lifelong changes uh, to the Constitution that may happen as a result of this week. Uh, last question to you, Alyssa, before we're going to throw this out to the people in the audience. So if you are in the audience and you would like to uh, make a point, ask a question, or just generally just rant about the state of British politics, uh, please raise your hand and we'll call you up um, in good time. Alyssa, how are the Tory press going to report on this tomorrow? The Daily Mail, the Times, the Telegraph, etc. What are they going to say? What's going to be the headlines? I have to confess, I, I'm not very, I don't actively follow a lot of the British press nowadays too much in terms of how they're going to interpret this. But I do assume there will be a, a rift between some who are going to follow the classic, you know, Tory line of now it's time to go, Boris. Um, they're going to represent those men in grey suits who traditionally would, at this point, say you have to follow the norms. Then you're also going to have the more aggressive, radical type press who are going to support this new generation of politics and say uh, to hell with the norms. Boris is voted in by the people. He has a public mandate. Um, go forward and um, uh, fight and make your case for us. So I think this gonna, it's going to reflect probably to some extent the divide between the Tory party itself, between this new generation of um, radical-type conservatives who, who follow more of the Trumpist model and the old guard of people who are, you know, more 
centrist um, common sense conservatives. But I just wanted to touch a bit on some of the constitutional points, just going back. Um, the British constitution itself is um, uh, one of the most interesting and complex because it's it's um, codified in different ways, but it's not written in one central location, unlike the US constitution. So a lot of it is norms, a lot of it is, you know, culture and history. So um, I, I do think he Boris does have the power to dissolve parliament and, and call a general election, because um, typically the power to do so is with the queen, that's the royal prerogative. So the prime minister typically um, employs those powers on behalf of the queen. So similar to the way a prime minister can start a war um, unless parliament um, votes against that or can sign a treaty, for example, um, the prime minister typically has the power to dissolve parliament as one of the quote-unquote royal prerogative powers that the queen traditionally had until the country became a constitutional democracy. What's more interesting, I think, is the question about when can the queen ask a prime minister to resign because the prime minister maintains that power based upon the cabinet and based upon the confidence in parliament. So at this point, is there an argument potentially that Boris has lost uh, the um, confidence in the cabinet? The cabinet has collectively decided that this government needs to be shut down. And therefore, does the Queen have a potential power to go to Boris and then make him resign? Um, that's, that's an interesting question, I think. I would like to hear some constitutional experts to um, give, give their opinions on at some point. Um, because the Queen at, at some point can potentially say that this this is this is too chaotic, Boris. You, you can't for you can't you're not functioning with the government, and so perhaps it's time for some intervention to take place. Um, um, but on the other hand, I mean, we could see Boris fight this out and continue. I mean, it's true that he's dipping into a bit of the Z listers, but he can also potentially appoint people to the House of Lords. That's another uh, role prerogative that the Prime Minister has to who can be appointed as a life peer, or he can make cabinet members out of the House of Lords. They don't have to actually be elected MPs. Um, there's no constitutional requirement that they actually have to be that um, elected MP. So um, he could do that and, and fill up the cabinet in a different ways. I mean, Trump has had to embrace that issue, um, um, grappling with the quote-unquote deep state in the US and the fact that when these radical-type conservative or, or radical groups are on the more... Um, on the non-center, on the far side of the of the left or far side of the right, they take power, they they deal with the bureaucracy and they find that they have a lot of institutionalists who don't support their agenda. So he's going to have to um, purge and have to replace and have to find a way to get his new people in. And if he does succeed in maintaining power, I think he's going to radically alter the, um, the identity of the people who are seen as um, eligible to govern it on behalf of the Conservative Party. So that's going to be a long-term consequence um, if he does stay in power. So um, it, it is uh, quite interesting to see how the developments um, are going to take shape. Uh, I, I think that was uh, excellently put. The one thing I would just draw, draw a line under, though Boris Johnson definitely is a populist in the mould of Trump, He's not an anti-establishment radical. 
And arguably neither was Trump. He was somebody who uh, tried to get into uh, the mores and the cocktail parties are, are, are of the establishment, but he's all seen as brash. And that's the reason why he, he uh, kind of rail, railed against them, because he's just brash with his cash. Whereas Johnson is fundamentally part of the, the British um, establishment. And I don't think he rails against uh, the deep, deep state at all, you know, not in a, a Trumpian type of way. But it's hard to disagree with your analysis of uh, the, the British constitution and uh, royal prerogative and the constitutional crisis which we might have if somebody in 10 Downing Street just refuses to leave office. You know, what happens next? Um, it, to call the Queen into such a central role of British politics is actually to weaken the monarchy ultimately. And uh, one of the reports that I read early, earlier today was that this would be potentially the thing which would shame Johnson into going, knowing that potentially uh, the, it, this would have to go to the monarch and the monarch says you do not have the, uh, you, don't, you don't command the support of your cabinet, let alone uh, parliament. Uh, and that's not where we want uh, the Queen to be um, at all, anywhere around um, the politics uh, of the United Kingdom. Uh, Mike Holden, uh, quick question to you, because it, it seems to me like everyone um, it just would rather just listen to us today than actually uh, raise their hand and actually come up on stage and ask a question. So um, a couple more questions, and then uh, we, we're going to wind this down, Mike. Okay. Uh, these red wall seats, um, just give us um, some kind of sense that, let's say if there was a snap election tomorrow, what do you expect all of these northern working class seats to go um would it be a a, a clean sweep um do you believe that let's say there's going to be what's more likely is that there's going to be a new tory leader let's say that it is um i don't know liz trust some somebody who you know it's got some level of a profile with the with the average man and woman in, in the british um high street so to speak do you expect, let's say, in two and a half years' time, when there's another general election, for those northern red wall seats uh, to return to Labour? Or will one of Boris Johnson's legacies be that he has changed forever the British political landscape? No, I, I would... There may be some wishful thinking on my part here, but I would expect that... It certainly wouldn't be a, a plain sweep, but I would expect a fair number of those red wall seats to move back to, uh, to Labour or, or to, as we've seen in recent by-elections, to uh, what we might loosely call a progressive alliance to anti-Tory candidates. Um, certainly, uh, personally, experience here, um, our MP, this chap called Anthony Higginbottom, um, has been an absolute Johnson loyalist. And right up until... Today, when he jumped on the bandwagon and, and um, announced that he uh, no longer had confidence in the Prime Minister. He's not in any kind of position in, in government. To, uh, he's a mere backbencher. But um, but looking at the local press, he's been having quite uh, a torrid time of it anyway. So the tide seems to have turned. I, I think it's very um, uh, pointed that Johnson himself, when he took a lot of the red wall seats, said that those votes had been lent to him to get Brexit done. Uh, and now it's gradually dawning on people that 
firstly, Brexit will never actually be done in, in, in the sense that he implied that it would be. Uh, and secondly, that the parts that have been done are proving to be not as advantageous to the country as, again, he promised that they would be. In fact, you know, most of the economic indicators are that, um, sure, uh, the world is suffering from the COVID uh, pandemic and uh, the follow-on economic crises and lack of uh, people, but the UK is suffering more badly than anywhere else. So um, a lot of people are now disillusioned with uh, with the promise that they were made in 2019. That's not to say that there hasn't been a shift. There was a big, big shift, as you know. Um, so to move it back and to say we're going to retake all the red wall seats, I think is a, is a, is a stretch. Um, however, I'm kind of encouraged by the idea that um, in places where voters would never vote Labour or would be unlikely to vote Labour again in numbers, they will, however, happily vote for the Lib Dem or Green or SNP, certainly, um, the anti-Tory candidate. And I, th I think that gives us some hope because um, it looks now... Again, it, it might be a stretch, but it looks as if a future general election would bring about a situation where there would be some kind of coalition. Uh, and if there was some kind of coalition, that would increase the chances of a push for PR again, which we know last time failed. But if that came back again and they managed to get that uh, passed, that would be a major, major blow to the Tory party because... The Tory party for years has, has benefited from the fact that there is one Tory party and two, three, four opposition parties. So I'd like to thank everybody who was a part of the show. Um, but this is another reason why you should download the Clubhouse app if you listen to the podcast Mid-Atlantic because then it means that you can be part of the live recording of this podcast. Clubhouse is a social audio app which you can download to your to your smartphone and this is and that that's the platform which we record these shows so please uh, do that so the next time we go live with any one of these shows you can be part of the podcast if you are in the audience uh, why don't you hit little greenhouse uh, mid-atlantic and then you can be alerted when we go live with these rooms i've got a sneaky feeling uh, we'll be doing another one of these rooms uh, on the fate of Boris Johnson and the Conservative Party and dare I say the British nation and its government and we'll be doing another one of these rooms uh, very soon. Uh, why don't you follow, give everybody who's on stage a, a bit of a follow if you have, if you don't follow them already it's just a great way of giving them a little bit of a round of applause and thanking them for their insight and their contributions today. Uh, don't forget folks left of centre politics is right thinking politics but we don't demonise our right uh, thinking uh, brothers and sisters we just try and win them over the strength of our argument we believe in a debate which is fundamentally based around people who are disadvantaged uh, people who uh, structurally the society um, sees them as other we put them first but to do that we do need allies so we do believe in consensus politics uh, and, and that is the way that we can actually win the commons space. That's been me, Royford Brown. This has been the recording of the podcast with Atlantic. Take care, look after yourselves. Bye-bye. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.